What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Some lyrics keep you up at night, some melodies make your hair stand on end, and some songs just plain old creep you out. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We get ready for Halloween with a list of songs to scare you and keep the trick-or-treaters off your lawn. Plus, our thoughts on Bob Dylan's Nobel Prize and review of the latest from Leonard Cohen. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. The Nobel Prize in Literature for 2016 is awarded to Bob Dylan for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. This is Sound Opinions, and yes, as the world now knows, Greg, on October 13th, the Swedish Academy named Bob Dylan as a Nobel Prize winner in literature. This instantly set the internet on fire. Right. I mean, there's a presidential election, but that's second only to that. The Internet exploded by people anti the notion of a singer songwriter winning a prize in literature and other people saying that Bob Dylan deserves any award that anyone would ever want to give him. I mean, personally, I think he should have five Michelin stars. Right. <laughs> Obviously, we're Dylan super fans. We did a three part uh, appreciation of Dylan's long career. Could have easily been 30 parts. He's an American treasure. He's a treasure for the world in terms of what he's done for songwriting, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's funny to me, Jim, that Dylan seemingly has not acknowledged that yeah. he has received this award. And everybody's, right. is he going to show up but on December 10th? he doesn't acknowledge anything. You know, <laughs> they've, the Nobel people have reached out to him six times, apparently, since announcing the award. And he's not <laughs> taking their call. I love that. Uh, in, in typical Dylan-esque fashion, he has uh, closed off a couple of shows immediately after the uh, announcement came out uh, with the song Why Try to Change Me Now, that Sinatra right. cover that he newly introduced to his set uh, the night of the announcement. Don't you remember I was always your clown Why try to change me now Meanwhile, no other word from the Dylan camp. Jim, I don't need a bunch of Swedes to tell me that Dylan is a great songwriter. I mean, I, and I think people get so worked up about whether you're in the Hall of Fame or whether you won the Nobel Prize and right. here's who should have won. Anybody with any sense knows that Dylan was a major songwriter. Is he a literary figure? Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I think that uh, the idea of literature in rock, uh, we can explore that and say that it, it has some literary aspects to it. But I, I think, uh, you know, Dylan exploded both genres, rock and literature, combined the two things, created some third art form uh, that really doesn't belong in either either category or conveniently in either category. And for them to say, oh, it's this thing or it's that thing, I think does a disservice to uh, Dylan's art. You know, I, I sit on these committees sometimes or these panels with these literary professors and they're talking about the, you know, the beauty of the words and okay, that's fine. But nobody would have cared. Uh, to me, it's how yeah. he sang those yeah. words, not what he sang so much. Well, I have two thoughts on that. I understand the literature world's uh, complaint here because you have 
you know, stellar giants in the field like Pinchon and Philip Roth and Cormac McCarthy who have not won a Nobel Prize. Dylan became the first American since Toni Morrison uh, won it in, in literature in 1993. Uh, but that's not my problem. My problem, as you just indicated, is that it minimizes the power of song, right? Because, you know, you or I could put a band together and cover Dylan's song. It's not going to be as powerful <laughs> as Dylan singing Dylan. So it's more than literature and, and it's not just music. Right. It's something else. Also, I, I just admire Dylan's cheerfully perverse contrarianism. You know, mm. throughout his life, this is the man who said, don't follow leaders and watch the parking meter, mm. right? You know, he, he's never wanted to belong, like Groucho Marx, to any club that would have him as a member. So it's <laughs> completely in keeping that he's not yet said whether he will go and meet the king and queen and accept the Nobel. Jim, it's apparent that everybody has an opinion on this. We want to hear what the listener's opinion is. Give us a call at 888-859-1800 with your take on Bob Dylan and the Nobel Prize. Oh, it's that time of year again, Jim. Uh, a time of year we love because we keep doing one of these shows every year. There seems to be an endless trove of great songs to play at Halloween. This year we are playing songs that creep you out, and we are turning over a large chunk of this show to our listeners. Uh, they're going to have heavy input into this idea of a song that creeps them out. Great stuff. Great stuff from the listeners this year and great stuff in our archives. You can go back and, and make a heck of a playlist. Absolutely. Now, definition of terms here. What is a song that creeps you out? There, there's a traditional creepy Halloween song. You know, some Vincent Price vocals, some eerie music <laughs> in the background. Chords. You know, you can play it on your soundtrack as the kids are trick-or-treating and they all go, ooh, boo, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And then there's the other song that has a more personal meaning for the listener. It may be uh, creepy only to that one person, usually because there's a personal story attached to it. So we're going to go both ways on today's show. But you're going to lead us off, right? So you've got one of these songs, nobody else thinks it's creepy, but it creeps <laughs> you out. Well, a few other people might think it's creepy, but I have a personal experience with this song that uh, elevates it to a whole new level of creepiness. It's from that Talking Heads record, uh, Fear of Music, that came out in 1979. Uh, dare I mention his name? Can I just spell it? E-N-O. Uh, oh, he was yes, a producer on this record, uh, and he may have had something to do with the, with the atmosphere. I remember buying this record and thinking this was going to be a, an upbeat kind of thing uh, because the Talking Heads had sort of specialized in that funky art pop. And uh, I remember the first time putting it on, I'd just gotten home from a very, very, very late shift on my first job after college. And, uh, you know, I'm in the dark, sitting in the dark, you know, complete little talking heads, you know, to, mm. to finish out the evening. This song comes on, Memories Can't Wait. And I, I'm telling you, I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. It was one of those songs that just haunted me. And it's interesting because that's exactly what the song is about. This guy's just throwing a party, the narrator, and uh, apparently everybody who's there is just absolutely blotto. We've all been in that place, in that room. Uh, but everybody's blotto except the narrator. Meanwhile, he is remembering everything. No one in the room rem remembers anything. He remembers everything. And his dilemma is he can't forget. How do I forget? How do I get this out of my head? How do I take the next step beyond? It, it's a whole level of psychological trauma that uh, David Byrne escalates as he sings in the song. By the time the song starts winding down, he's literally yelping. I mean, he's, mm. his voice is rising. You would call it a falsetto in normal uh, language, but in David Byrne's language, it, it sounds like a cry for help, a scream for help. 
I'll be here all the time. You know, these mm. memories are going to be in his mind forever. And then the song starts to unravel. This chaotic atmosphere that's being created by the background music starts to melt away. Everything is quiet. Everyone has gone to sleep. I'm wide awake on memories. You're getting worked up even as you speak. Oh, it's pretty terrifying stuff, I think. Uh, memories can't wait from the talking heads on Sound Opinions. Take a walk through the land of shadows. Take a walk through the peaceful meadows. Don't look so disappointed. It isn't what you're voting for. It is Talking Heads from the Fear of Music album, a song called Memories Can't Wait, a song that just creeps me out, Jim. Yeah, well, I don't know if a lot of people agree with you, but I'm down with that. I'm going to save my uh, just maybe creepy to me song for later. I'm going to start with a new creepy song that I can't get enough of in the last couple of weeks. It's from the sixth album by a Norwegian experimental musician who uh, many, many people have have been just had a cult following develop over the last couple of years, Jenny Haval. She's fascinated with the body and its various effluvia, has talked about lots (laughs) of things in the past that I can't even really recap here. But the new album called Blood Bitch is all about blood. Uh, She notes that uh, it's an investigation of blood that is shed naturally, the purest and most powerful, yet most trivial and most terrifying blood. She is in part talking about uh, women's bodies and tapping into a long tradition of art made about uh, women's bodies. But also uh, she's got this thing for vampires. So there's a little Anne Rice true blood happening here. You know, it's partly natural blood and it's partly vampiric blood. And it gets exceedingly creepy at times, as you might expect. Now, Jenny Haval is influenced in equal parts by Kate Bush, Bjork, Laurie Anderson, but she grew up as a huge fan of Nordic death metal, right? So there's, I mean, wow, uh, what a combination of things going into this kind of experimental music. This song in particular is the one that's really hitting me. It's called In the Red. There's lots of blood puns throughout the album, in the lyrics, in the titles, but In the Red breaks down at one point Uh, You know, it's pretty minimal music to begin with. And at one point, we just hear her heavy breathing. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's hunger. I don't know if it's fear. I think it's all of the above. And part of the charm of this record is the ambiguity there. This is Jenny Haval from Norway on Sound Opinions. 
That is Jenny Haval in the red. Man, that album is something. Now let's turn to our callers, Greg. We've got Anne from Chicago on the line. Anne, it's Halloween. We got creepy songs on the brain. You got one for us? I do. What is it? It is John Cale's If You Were Still Around from the original version of Music for a New Society. I think, uh, Anne, the one thing I like about Cale is that he can make almost anything sound creepy if he's in the right mood. He could sing Happy (laughs) Birthday and it might creep me out. Right. What is it about this one that uh, creeps you out? Well, it starts off, it's very spare starts off with just an organ, and you think it might be kind of a sweet song. If you were still around, I'd hold you. And he's sort of holding back his voice a little bit. There's a little stutter. And then the lyrics start getting creepier as the organ swells. Shreds of dread is one of my favorite lines from the song. (laughs) Chew the back of your head. And he starts growling. You know, Anne, they say (laughs) fear is a man's best friend. There you go. Yeah, that's pure kale. That's that's pure creepiness. You know, I don't I don't want to disillusion you, but you know, he is just the nicest, most politest man in the world. You know, I'm actually glad to hear that. You wouldn't know that though by listening to this. Right. When did you first hear this song, and uh, when was the exact moment that it creeped you out? You know, I can't say the exact moment I first heard it, but I worked at my college radio station, which was in a coach house sort of down a dark driveway, and I would have sometimes a late-night shift. And I just remember putting that song on and being completely creeped out, but in a good way. <laughs> Getting up when the commercial's on and running to lock the doors. <laughs> exactly. Great choice, Anne. Thanks for uh, coming on Sound Opinions. Okay, thank you. Anne was fantastic there, Greg. Let's hear another message from another listener about a creepy song. My name is Matt from Connecticut. I'm calling in about my creepy song, uh, Careful with the Axe Eugene by Pink Floyd. I particularly like the version from the Amagama album, which isn't necessarily a super well-liked Pink Floyd record. But the reason I chose it is because it really lulls you into like almost a relaxed state, even though it does have a sinister sound to it. And then it really surprises you with uh, when Roger Waters comes in screaming just after the whisper of the title of the song, and you're not even sure the first time you hear it was even said. Ah! 
the first time I heard it, it scared the living daylights out of me. I was probably 19. I mean, I was very surprised. I had no idea it was coming. Someone was playing the song for me with the intent of eliciting that reaction, and it worked. My heart started beating super hard in a way that, like, I don't know, maybe five things, like, as far as art have ever made me feel. Careful with that axe, Eugene, by Pink Floyd. I uh, We love that song. Right? I've always loved that song. Roger Waters, one of the great... See, what Matt left out there is, uh, you know, this was an album, Umaguma, designed to be listened to with headphones. So right. the first time you're, you know, laying on your bearskin rug under the black light <laughs> with uh, all sorts of smoke in the room, uh, and that's playing, right? And then it comes on the headphones. It was like, boy, you know, you jump up 10 feet. After a break, more creepy song choices from our listeners. And later in the show, we're going to review the new album from another master of dark songwriting, Leonard Cohen. And, Greg, you're going to share a song you can't live without on the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. It's Halloween, it's Halloween, it's time for scares, it's time for squeeze. It's Halloween, it's Halloween. The ghost will spook, the spook will scare. Why even Dracula will be there? It's time for games, it's time for fun. Not for just one, but for everyone. The Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis. And for this year's Halloween show, we're turning it over to you, our listeners. We asked for your picks of songs that give you the chills. So let's hear some more of those picks. And we're going to go to North Hollywood now. Hey, Josh, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hey, guys. Josh, tell us. Creepy songs, Halloween, have you got one? Yeah, you know, for me, the song that always comes back to me is actually Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. And I know it's kind of like background music to us now. We've all heard it like a thousand times. But when I was a kid, I could not finish that song. Hmm. Just the lyrical imagery. When I was a kid, thinking of like the face in the jar by the door and the priest walking away from the grave while he's wiping the dirt off of his hands. Like it was just, I didn't know what it meant. I literally saw that she was taking her face off, putting it in a jar and keeping it by the door because maybe like it kept longer, like it was cooler in that area of the house. Helena Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? The strings are so urgent. They're, they're almost like Bernard Herrmann's psycho score. Mm-hmm. And they kind of shriek in the vocals. I think the Beatles kind of had a unique approach to recording strings because I think the big objection to strings was that it was an instant turnoff to the rock era generation fans 
And, uh, you know, McCartney's going, because they're recording it all wrong. You know, they, they sound very soft and plush. Let's uh, put a microphone on each, uh, each stringed instrument and really get that attack of the bow on the strings, and you, it really turns the whole thing around, doesn't it? Attack is the right word, too. I mean, there's just, I, again, I just see that knife in the shower in Psycho every time that <laughs> string hits. Yeah, good call. It is, it is Bernard Herrmann, very much. Uh, Josh, when was the first time you heard this? Uh, you know, I remember the first time I heard this. It, we were driving to my grandmother's house. I was a small kid, and my dad had just gotten a Beatles cassette, and I was listening to it on a Walkman in the backside of the car. And it was just a very impactful moment, just hearing that and not being able to finish the song. Uh, it, it was like this, and they're coming to take me away. I remember we're kids. It <laughs> we were just songs I had to turn off. Even though it still kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies, even though I've heard it for, you know, 30-odd years. Well, you know, that's... The, I mean, Greg and I did a, a book about the Beatles and the Stones together, and one of the complaints we have is that the ubiquity of these songs in popular culture and classic rock radio has robbed them of the emotion. But if you can somehow kind of, like, disassociate yourself from the fact that you've grown up with this song and listen to it anew, you say to yourself, wow, that is a real piece <laughs> of work, right? It's true. You know, I, I work in horror movies, and we say that a lot. Like, once you get older, it's harder to get scared. But there are those moments when you were younger that just kind of crystallized and kind of, like, left a scar that you'll always have. <laughs> I am and still shaken everyone... off damage from The Exorcist, let me tell you. Exactly. But, but you watch it today, and you're kind of like, oh, it's a little slow in the middle. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that is so obviously pea soup. <laughs> exactly. But there are still, if you can get yourself in the right frame of mind, if you can get yourself clean and go back to Eleanor Rigby, I really think it's a freaky song. I'm, I'm with you. But what do you do in horror movies? Uh, I made a horror movie last year, kind of a domestic thriller, uh, which is doing film festivals right now, and we're looking for distribution. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's it's just uh, writing is mostly what I do. Well, you ever need, you know, you ever need two rock critics <laughs> to be victims of the slasher, you know, whatever. We're, we're, yeah, I, Josh, thanks so much for calling in to Sound Opinions. Thanks so much. I'm a huge fan of it. Listen to you guys forever. All right, let's hear another message from one of our listeners about a creepy song. This is Ron from Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada. And my pick for a song that gives me the creeps is the appropriately titled Evil by the band Red House Painters. Uh, the song begins innocently enough with uh, Mark Kosslick kind of chuckling at the beginning <laughs> and some delicate acoustic guitar pickings, but it gradually morphs into this dirge with very slow beat and an increasing feeling of claustrophobia and doom. And then these truly creepy atonal backing vocals come in, just sounding like distant cries of suffering from the gates of the hell. The first time I heard this song, it was late at night, and I was sitting on my couch wearing headphones and drifting off, sort of going into that space between awake and asleep. And when the song ended, I sat up, I was just bolt upright. I was all panicked and frightened, just like I'd come from the worst 
David Lynch-inspired nightmare. And to this day, I can't listen to this song in its entirety without turning it off. Let's get another creepy song from one of our listeners. Hi, I'm Ryan from Golden, Colorado, and the song that really creeps me out is Ten Little Indians by Harry Nilsson off his 1967 Pandemonium Shadow Show. The song starts out with this circus ringleader who's laughing maniacally as he mispronounces the album name. And there's not much that's really creepier than a circus. Ladies and gentlemen, in the center ring, presenting Nilsson and his Shandamanium Shadow Poe. The next thing that you hear is this militaristic drum line that's kind of propelling the song forward, careening you towards some unknown destination. Um, and then there are these keyboard hits, which don't really resolve or build. They just kind of create this tension. Next, you get Harry Nilsson's voice, and I think he has one of the most beautiful voices in rock history. But he sings with this grit in his voice, and so he starts singing about Ten Little Indians, the, the children's rhyme. Um, except in his version, every one of the Indians is killed off for violating one of the Ten Commandments, whether it's murder or adultery. And as the song finishes and the last Indian is killed, it crescendos uh, with this swell of horns that sounds like this demonic version of Ravel Bolero, and it just creeps me out every time. Oh, man, Ryan's on fire there. I was hoping, Greg, we were going to get some creepy clown, all right, and and starting there with the circus thing and then wherever Nilsson took it, finally ending up with a bolero horn. Man, I'm scared. Are you scared? We want to hear more creepy song choices from you listeners. Give us a call, 888-859-1800, or send us suggestions on Twitter or Facebook. we got a few more listeners, Greg, and then you and I are going to come back and give our final creepy song picks. Let's talk to Katura from Leicester, England. Katura, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks for having me. All right, we're talking about uh, songs for Halloween, songs that really creeped you out. Have yep. you got a candidate? I do. Uh, my candidate is Love in Vain by Skinny Puppy. Ooh, Skinny Puppy, masters of the, the goth horror genre in the 80s. <laughs> it is right. yeah. How do you choose just one from Skinny Puppy? The yeah, whole catalog yeah, I know. would work. <laughs> Um, well, this song just really made an impression on me. It's just got such dark themes and really, I think, effectively creates a bit of an unpleasant and nightmarish atmosphere. You know, it starts out with a sample from Revolution 9 by the Beatles, which I like, and along with like these discordant sounds and sort of demonic-sounding voices that are kind of whispering, and they almost, to me, sound like they're kind of like beckoning, which really ups the sinister quality. <laughs> Why 
and the vocalist Ogre is singing about drug addiction and self-destruction, like knowing you're doing yourself harm but being drawn to the thing that's harming you. So it's just especially disturbing, I think. Sir, I gotta, I gotta tell you. I, first of all, I gotta thank you for for uh, uh, drawing me in the direction of Skinny Puppy. I'd sort of forgotten about them, but this <laughs> yeah. reminds me. Okay, so you know, there's, I usually have a soundtrack for my uh, trick or treaters, right? And at a certain point, you run out of candy, and I think I've just found the song that I need to play when I kind of indicate I don't want any children creeping up to my front front yard I've had asking enough. for candy. Once you play this, they are not going to come within 100 yards of the house, you know? I mean, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that will just keep everybody <laughs> away. That's awesome. My first introduction to Skinny Puppy was actually one of their live shows, and I wasn't aware that they do these sort of graphic horror theatrics mm -hmm. in their in all their concerts yeah. so that made a big impression on me my their my sisters were big fans of them so i went along with them to see the show you know they wear sort of costumes and ghoulish masks and sort of creep around the stage <laughs> um so that really made an impression and that, then that later a, on that is a really mean big sister thing to do is to take well, you. I'm the big sister, actually. Really? So your younger sisters took you? Yeah. Wow, yeah. Oh, they were fixing yeah, you. They were really into industrial music and stuff when we were growing up, and I was less so. So it sort of skipped me over, but later as adults we went to the show together. After that you went back and started going through their records and found this song. Is that how it worked? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my sister made me a mix of some of her favorite tracks, and that was sort of the first time that I really noticed Love in Vain. I, when that intro started up, I actually just had to skip over it because I <laughs> found it so disturbing the first time. Um, but subsequent listens, I've kind of desensitized myself to it a little bit and actually kind of appreciate it now as something that's pretty successful in sort of making you feel the tortured experience that he's describing. Thanks, Couture. That was great. No, thank you. Let's get another creepy song from one of our listeners. This is Heather from Baltimore, Maryland. My song that I've chosen as the creepiest song is Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, Young Girl. Young girl, get out of my mind. My love for you is way out of line. Better run, girl. You're much too young, girl. It's the but it's also that his voice sounds more than someone in his early 20s or late teens. When I was growing up in the 80s, the song always came on oldies radio and my mom was driving and I would beg her to turn it off. I was little, I was probably seven when I first noticed how creepy it was, but it grossed me out well into my teenage years. I have heard it in the grocery store a few times and been very upset because I don't want it near my food. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of universally agreed upon that it's a very creepy song. Young girl, get out of my mind. My love for you 
you know, I got to say, we're with Heather on that one, 100%. Uh, yeah. you know, there's nothing worse than a stalker except a smarmy stalker. And that's and what an Gary Puckett sounds like on that song. Illegal relationship, Ugh. age difference. I, I'm, I, that's I, creepy. I can't finish the show. Yeah, that's creepy. I'm that, too creeped out. That is very scary. You know, we've got one more pick each, Jim. What do you got? Have you ever seen the 1934 film Babes in Toyland, the Laurel and Hardy movie? No, I have not. Oh, okay. Does this... it never get, get? When is that movie ever on TV? Well, you know, they used to air it <laughs> or cable. They used to yeah. air it all the time. It was yeah. as ubiquitous as "It's a Wonderful Life" for a while, and then I think eventually, in modern times, people have realized how creepy it is. But we were flipping around. You know, nothing's on around Christmas last uh, last year. My wife Carmel and I, and we came across it, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh! Have you ever seen? It? You got to see this, right?" And then she really was upset at me because we watched it, and boy, she had the same reaction I always had. 1934, uh, Laurel and Hardy as a vehicle, the way Abbott and Costello would years later, you know, would, would take, uh, you know, an existing uh, operetta or musical play and then insert themselves. So Victor Herbert had written in 1903 the operetta Babes in Toyland, you know, and, and then the Laurel and Hardy vehicle is made as a film. And, and it all happens in Toyland, and Toyland is this fantastical place. Mother Goose oversees it, and Bo Peep is there, and the Three Little Pigs, right? But it gets invaded by the boogeymen, uh, mm. who are these horrifying creatures. Uh, you, you know, you, you think the, the flying monkeys in Wizard of Oz are yeah, bad? Ooh. This is ten times <laughs> worse, right? They're in these hairy suits that look like they cost about $3 each, right? It's not, not good makeup, <laughs> but it's even more creepy because of that. And they got fangs and they're going to eat the children of Toyland, uh, you know, and only Laurel and Hardy through a series of uh, you know, hilarious missteps can stop them, right? I had this this this, this great uncle and, and he used to you know introduce me to all this art. I remember seeing West Side Story with him, and he also, you know, made me watch this, and that was not nearly as good an influence as Leonard Bernstein. Here it is, Laurel and Hardy, March of the Toys, Babes in Toyland, March of the Toys from uh, Babes in Toyland, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, this is an acid trip. This is a bad trip oh, movie. That, that is one of the creepiest. <laughs> you, the way you're describing it, I never want to see that movie. Or maybe I do want well, to see that see, movie. See, you wouldn't think that music was just, but the, with the combination is the thing. Well, you know, you're going where I'm going with my next song, too, because a movie completely recontextualizes this song for me. I'm talking about David Lynch's Blue Velvet, oh. which is, to my mind, as creepy a movie as I've ever seen. It's right up there with uh, The Exorcist or yeah, Jaws. Yeah, it's a masterpiece, I mean, but it's it, creepy. So it, it comes on late-night cable, and I'm, you know, in the fetal position on the couch watching <laughs> this darn thing. But the pivotal scene for me is the way Lynch uses the song Roy Orbison's In Dreams, a seemingly innocent-sounding song that in the movie becomes this really creepy moment for the villain in the movie, played by Dennis Hopper, Frank Booth. Frank Booth is a psychopathic gangster. He's uh, holding this woman prisoner, and he's got this sort of glammed-up friend who's helping keep this woman hostage that on cue will sing or lip-sync to Roy Orbison's In Dreams whenever Frank Booth wants to hear it. And Booth, you know, initially when he hears the song, the recording of the song, uh, you know, falls into this maudlin reverie. He's very sad, and then enters this frothing rage. 
where he starts beating people up. I mean, it's a horrible kind of transformation that occurs. And the Orbison song, you know, he, he's envisioning this romance with this woman who's very elusive. He, he, she doesn't know him, doesn't care he exists. Uh, imagines them together and, and being lovers, and then at the end of the song, realizes it's all been a dream, it's shattered, it goes poof before his eyes, and you can hear the, uh, the d- disappointment in his voice, the crushing finality of the reality of his life versus what he dreams about. And I think uh, the same is true for uh, Frank Booth in uh, Blue Velvet. This song is really about power, it's about control, not so much about love and longing. And that's what this movie, I think, is pointing out about Roy Orbison's In Dreams. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Orbison in Dreams on Sound Opinions, that is a song that continually creeps me out. You are not kidding, Mr. Cott. And that wraps up our creepy song picks this year. Until next year, we apologize to anyone who's going to have trouble sleeping tonight. (laughs) If you want to add any of these songs to your Halloween soundtrack, you can find the full list at soundopinions.org. And if you've got a creepy song to share, give us a call, 888-859-1800. Coming up after a short break, we review the 14th studio album from Leonard Cohen. And I've got a song that celebrates a venerated songwriter who did not win a Nobel Prize as my Desert Island jukebox pick. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. I want you I woke up and one of us was crying I want you You said, young man, I do believe you're dying I want you If you need a second opinion As you seem to do these days I want you But you can look in my eyes And you can count the Did you mean to tell me but seem to forget? I want you since when were you so generous and inarticulate? I want you. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. 
You want it darker. We kill the flame. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is the inimitable voice of Leonard Cohen. You want it darker? It's the title track from his new album, his 14th studio record. Greg, Dylan's in the air, Nobel Prize, everybody's talking about it. Uh, second only to Dylan in the 60s in bringing together the beat poetic tradition and the serious approach of poetry to rock and roll, to popular music, whatever you want to call it, was Leonard Cohen. Uh, 1967, his debut, the 10 songs on Songs of Leonard Cohen really put him on the map. This is not to say he has ever been as prolific a recording artist or as busy touring as Dylan has been, uh, pretty much nonstop throughout his career. Uh, in fact, for a long time, Cohen was a bit of a stonecutter. It would be years and years and years between albums. He's been more prolific as he's gotten older over the last decade or so, in part because of a sad story. Uh, there was a manager who robbed him blind. If you listen to Cohen, uh, Cohen needed the money, and he returned to the road and has been touring in recent years, although he is now 82, and in between, he's been giving us records. It's only two years since Popular Problems came out in 2014, and now we have this record, You Want It Darker. Uh, we'll get into what the themes of this record are and how much we enjoy the music, but let's play a song for you first. This is On the Level by Leonard Cohen from You Want It Darker on Sound Opinions. I knew that it was wrong I didn't have a doubt I was dying to get back home And you were starting out I said I'd best be moving on you said we have all day You smiled at me like I was young It took my breath away Your crazy fragrance all around Your secrets all in view My loss, my loss was saying found My don't was saying do Let's keep it on That is on the level from the new Leonard Cohen record, You Want It Darker. Jim, as you mentioned, uh, the recently very prolific Leonard Cohen, mm -hmm. which is a great thing. You know, at, the, at age 82, releasing his 14th studio album, three of which have come in the last, you know, half dozen years. His son, uh, Adam Cohen, is the producer. I have found a number of Cohen records in the past to be unlistenable because the production so was so overdone. But I think the production on the recent Cohen records, in particular this one, very sparse, very flattering to Cohen's almost, you know, shell of a voice to the point where it sounds, you know, totally his, totally unique. You know, he's like the undertaker coming to visit. It's like this fog <laughs> that enters the room. And it is like it is beneath base level. It's subterranean. But it works for, for what he's singing about. And it's very dry. There's a sense of humor here. And there's also a lot more going on 
Um, you know, he recently gave an interview to The New Yorker in which he was quoted as saying, I am ready to die. And people read into this as, oh, this is Leonard's mortality record. I'm, I'm yeah. wandering off into the sunset after I finish this last work of my career or something like that. To be clear, he recanted recently on stage and said, quote, I intend to live forever. I think here... He's wrestling with a lot of different issues, not just death, which has always been a theme for him, but, you know, the notion of God. Uh, I think there's a lot of songs here where that line between a lover and God and the institution that religion creates for itself is blurred. And I think it, it's, it's uh, very telling that a lot of the songs sound like they were uh, set in a church. I heard the snake was baffled by his sin. He shed his scales to find the snake within. But born again is born without a skin. The poison enters into everything. I think the guy is, uh, you know, he's made better albums maybe, but I think the level of his work at age 82 is very high. I think if you're not a fan of Leonard Cohen, you may not understand this album at all, But I, because there are easier ways to access his music. But to fans of Cohen, I think it's a buy it record. I'm a fan. I say buy it. Yeah, I'll agree with your buy it, Greg. I disagree with your notion that if, if uh, you, let, let's say you heard Alleluia, you know, ideally Jeff Buckley or John Cale's version, uh, less ideally in Shrek the soundtrack, right? And you're intrigued. I think this would be a very good place to go because he's never been funnier, nor has he been more talented uh, in in the vein of, uh, let's return to his first nickname, the master of erotic despair, right? (laughs) That was was something everybody said in the 60s. Um, You know, this is prime Cohen lyrically, but I love Adam Cohen's production. You're absolutely right. Like you said, it sounds like he's in a church here, and and uh, but it's a black mass, and it's very very funny. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make things cheap. Is is the favorite one that keeps jumping out uh, <laughs> at me. Battle him of the Republic reimagined for our consumerist age. It's it's a double buy it for both of us. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island and plays you a song we cannot live without. Greg, what do you got for us? So, Jim, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about this Nobel Prize for for Bob Dylan, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, great lyricist. Everybody agrees. You know, he wrote great lyrics. Are they literature? Are they not? That's a debate for, you know, that may never be solved. But when we're talking about rock and roll lyricists and we're talking about uh, lyricists that influenced Bob Dylan, this guy's name is at the very top of the list. Chuck Berry just turned 90. On his 90th birthday, he said, I'm going to release my final album next year uh, called Chuck. First album since 1979, self-produced. But what is it about Chuck Berry's music that motivated artists like the Stones, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Dylan, the Li- Springsteen? The list goes on and on. These major, major artists who all point to Chuck Berry as a great songwriter, a great lyricist. You know, uh, I think if uh, 
Chuck Berry's uh, career is reduced to maybe a paragraph of his musical accomplishments. You know, you're looking at his 50s run, Johnny B. Good, Maybelline, Rollover Beethoven. That run of hits on chess records in Chicago in the 50s. And maybe My Dingling, you know, this kind of <laughs> nutty gimmick yeah. song, uh, which, you know, should be just stricken from the vocabulary of anybody talking yeah, about Chuck Berry. Forgotten, because yeah. that is not something important about Chuck Berry. But there was this period after he got out of prison in the early 60s, and there's a whole lot of baggage attached to, to Chuck Berry. But when you go away for prison t- for two years, people tend to forget about you. Your, your name t- tends to be run through the run through the mud, maybe for good reason. But Chuck Berry came out of prison and wrote a bunch of great songs. And this run of songs that he recorded in the mid to late 60s ranks with among the very best work in his canon. I'm talking about songs like No Particular Place to Go, You Never Can Tell, and the song I'm going to play next, Nadine. This is a song that, to me, outlines why Chuck Berry is so revered uh, by these many songwriters that followed him. Uh, The vividness of the imagery. Here's Chuck. He's chasing this phantom, a ghost, this woman named Nadine. She may or may not exist. Uh, She may or may not be interested in him. It doesn't matter. Chuck is running all over town trying to find this woman named Nadine. And the imagery in this song is so vivid. I was like campaign shouting like a southern diplomat. He was looking at the coffee-colored Cadillac. He was moving through traffic like a mounted cavalier. These images practically form a movie in your mind. There's a little chase movie yeah. that's going on in these four verses in this song. Oh, you're right. Everybody talks about his guitar, which absolutely set the standard for rock and roll guitar, but the lyrics are just as brilliant. I think Chuck, Chuck Berry was a brilliant lyricist, and uh, you know, artists like Dylan and, and Springsteen have gone back to this particular song and said, you want to know what Chuck Berry's about? Listen to Nadine. Here's Nadine from Chuck Berry on Sound Opinions. <laughs> Greg Codd with one of the greatest artists in rock history, a Desert Island jukebox pick, Chuck Berry's Nate Dean. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? 
Jim, we've been talking a lot about songwriters on this show, and next week we've got two great ones, Brett and Rennie Sparks of The Handsome Family. Sound Opinions Greg was produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne. I'm in the phone with this one across the hall. If you don't answer, I'll just ring it up the wall. I know she's there, but I just had a call. Don't leave me hanging on the telephone. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, Greg and Jim. It's uh, Kevin over here in Frederick, Maryland. I wanted to uh, thank you for having Bob Muir on and talking about the replacements in his book, Trouble Boys. And uh, the replacements did indeed impact my life and change my life. I was actually having a conversation via text with a friend recently, and she posed the question, why is this band so perfect? And I'd like to read to you what I wrote her in return. I said, because they are everything we think about when we're half in and half out. They are our moments of doubt at our peak of confidence. They are our final gasp of air taken in when we punch the clock on Monday morning. They are nothing more, and they are nothing less. And that sums up how I feel about the replacements. Great show, guys. Keep it up. This is Joe calling from the Chicagoland area. So my suggestion to the Halloween list of songs that are freaky or freak you out is Haunted House by Lee Oscar. He used to be in the band War, but this is from one of his solo albums. The last song on the album, it's a really long track. It's really funky and groovy. It's got a great bass line, like a perfectly placed guitar lick, and the obligatory uh, Lee Oscar harmonica solo. Uh, but the freaky, creepy part of it is that the chorus, the lyric, is it's just one chorus. It's, it's just repeated over and over again. And it's like this one creepy sort of description of an interaction, like a one-sided claim stemming from some incident between two people or something like that. It's like, what does he mean? Where is he taking us? Why? Why does he feel the need to say this over and over and over again? Hello, Sign Opinions. This is Mark from Montrose, Iowa. Uh, the creepiest song that creeps me out every time is Sonic Youth version of Superstar, the Carpenter classic. I don't know what key they do that in, uh, but there's this note right after the verse, each verse, that just creeps me out. It's just the radio.
Anyway, thanks for asking. Love your show. Keep it up. Happy Halloween. Jim and Greg, this is Alan in Algonquin, Illinois. For your creepy song episode, you've got to be thinking about Kate Bush's song, Get Out of My House. It's from her The Dreaming album. It is just creepy and psychotic. And if you were to hear that song coming out of a house on Halloween night, you were not bring your child to it. There's screaming, there's donkeys braying. It's just bad juju. Anyway, the suggestion. Thanks. Love the show. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.